Unlike the chief, I live on the coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. And uh, let me just challenge you, men, three things. Find a mentor in your life, a godly mentor in your life that will speak truth in your life and tell you things you don't want to hear. And Jeff has been that friend to me. Uh, and then find yourself with golly friendships, hunting, fishing, pinochle, crochet, whatever you want to do together. Um, and then find some other men to invest your life into, be a mentor to a young man uh, coming up in this crazy world. Um, and I've got a dear friend of mine listening Zoom from uh, South Carolina, Don, I appreciate you. He's ventured with me over the 30 years of dealing with an accident and the trauma and raising kids and all that. And, uh, He's spoken a lot of truth in my life and a lot of stuff I didn't want to hear, but uh, it's by his grace and uh, help that I was able to be here today. So I thank you, Don. And uh, let me just get a few disclaimers uh, out right up front. I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm just your ordinary guy. Um, speaking in a large group is really hard for me. A lot of anxiety, a lot of disability, uh, obviously physically. I've got some mental disability. Um, from the accident. Some say I had it before the accident, and, um, but we'll leave it at that. And, um, and so I'm going to, a lot of my story for your sake and my sake is scripted, and I apologize out in front of advance, but I wanted to get it you out here before lunch, and, and I want to make some, I want God's words to come across. So just bear with me. Those of you who do audio bo books, just pretend you're listening to a Kentucky redneck speaking up here, reading a book or something. But my story is about changing. His purpose and plan for me is changing my performance to servanthood. And there's a difference, and I hope you'll hear that come through, and so you can find your purpose in how to serve him. Uh, I want to greatly uh, and very appreciative Pastor Youth's uh, message last month. He really challenged us um, with uh, a couple of verses, Ephesians 2.22 on calling are calling to follow Jesus, and then he talked about Ephesians 2.10, has God has already prepared a special calling for each one of us, and none of us are exempt from that. Um, and, and as you haven't got the book shaped, which we're doing this year, it's bringing out our, our position and our passions and our ability, which Pastor, you spoke about uh, a little bit last month and brought that to our attention. And I really like what he said, and I shared this with my, uh, my son-in-laws, is, Broken soil brings growth. Broken clouds bring rain. Broken bread brings strength. And a broken person is what he uses for his purpose. He will use you to bless and help others while glorifying him. And that really resonated. I think simply as it was, it really spoke to my heart. And he challenged us that we all have, none of us have any options or excuses. And the verse that Pastor used was Luke 9, 23 through 26. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will be the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. Um, great reminder. Um, so for those who were here last week, uh, I want to bring in this thing that Pastor talked about the basketball court and how he was trying, trying to throw the ball inbounds, but he couldn't see the player. 
Well, God knows our whole life's court, each one of our courts that we represent in our lives, and he knows that player on that court. He knows every one of our circumstances and situations. Um, my story is about not wanting to throw the ball into the court because I was afraid of making a mistake, that I wouldn't perform well. And so if I would, let me take a few minutes to pray and uh, get a little composure here, and then uh, I'll get started. So, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity is. Many excuses I tried to come up with to not be here, Lord, um, none of them worked. So I just thank you for prompting me. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to overcome some issues this week that allow me to be here. And Lord, I always remember, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalms 1914, and one of my favorites is, he must become greater, I must become less, John 3.33. So two more verses uh, to hang on to this morning is, um, I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me, and that's Psalms 57.2. And then the one that I've um, become a real favorite of mine over the years is, but what about you, he asks, who do you say I am? And that's Matthew 16.15. So after many years of trying to figure this out and my answer to how to answer that verse, um, God convinced me over the years that he has a purpose and plan for me, and that is to share the gospel. Whatever my circumstances and situations are and will be is not to use that for an excuse. And so I hope this morning, uh, as I share my story, uh, that you'll hear his grace, mercy, and love. And if you're not a believer and you're not a Christ follower, um, just remember there's no guarantees when you walk out that door to postpone that decision. And if you are a Christ follower, I hope my story will be in some of of encouragement um, on whatever you know your life is on this planet Earth. As we're now over at Mosaic calls planet death. Uh, just remember that um, you've got somebody who can carry you through it all. And again, surround yourself with godly men, but ultimately rely on Jesus and he'll get you through it. So my adventure began on July the 1st, 1958. Uh, I was born in Newton, Kansas, and no, I'm not a Kansas fan. I'm Kentucky all the way, 100%. I just happened to be born there. Um, I was 13 months old, um, climbed out of my crib, fell out the window, and I would have fallen out the other side of the window. Well, I fell out the window and landed in some bushes, head, laurel hedges, bushes. If I would have fallen out the other side, just a few inches over, I would have fallen down numerous steps into the storm cellar and probably a fatal um, accident at that 13 years old. Um, but God had a purpose. So through my childhood, my teenage years, and up to now, I think I'm on 28 or 29 surgeries. So it's just been a, one of those deals. Um, but it's been his plan and purpose for my life. Um, growing up, my father was a perfectionist. Um, I learned at a very young age that my identity was in my performance. If you wanted to achieve a successful life, you had to perform, and that was just expected, um, instilled in me from childhood. Uh, And speaking with my mom later in adult life, I found out my dad and his brother uh, went to an orphanage at a very young age. Uh, His mom had remarried to a man who was bringing two other sons into the marriage and told told my dad's mom, we don't have the money, your kids have got to go, so she put them in an orphanage. I just share that with you because um, through a number of uh, wild at heart weekends at John Eldridge's Ransom Heart Ministry, 
I learned how to, uh, to deal and face that sins of my father. I'd encourage any man who's not been exposed to that ministry, come talk with me or some other men who've gone through it. it it's a great healing because my dad passed away on August 8th in 2008, um, went to be with Jesus um, because he became a Christian later in adulthood after I had already moved out. But going through that weekend, I went back to my dad's grave and read him a very lengthy letter on um, extending him forgiveness as well as seeking forgiveness because I was not the best son in the world. Um, a lot of rebellion on that performance issue and stuff. So just um, remember that you have a heavenly father. And my mom was a believer from my childhood. She was from the hills of Kentucky, Southern Baptist all the way. Uh, everyone in my mom's family, very small coal mining town, loved Jesus, walked for Jesus, even through the legalism. No cards, you know, no alcohol, except if you were sick, you could get Jack Daniels in a saucepan with lemon juice and honey. I was sick a lot. But... <laughs> So, uh, but with that, my mom's mom, my grandmother, Mammy, would always tell me, I remember, you know, she led me to the Lord, reminding me, even though your father doesn't love you, Jesus does, and he'll get you through it. And so I later in life learned that my, you know, my parents were blessed with me as their firstborn son, and that was his plan and purpose as we began. I continued through high school uh, performing in sports. It was my dream, and I thought I had some potential to, to make it a career. Um, and God's hand of protection was on me through all my drinking and drugs through high school, and it was a re rebellious toward my dad, uh, not seeking his love. And, and the only time I heard anything positive from my dad was when I was doing well and either hunting, coming home with something, performing in basketball, football, or baseball, I'd get the regular, you're doing good, son, and a pat on the back. Um, even when I would mow the grass in the right direction, or I wouldn't put too much grass in the mowed bag, I was performing well. And so that was instilled in me at, at a very young age. Um, but I didn't feel like I could gain my dad's affection unless I was performing in, in something. And in that performance, um, God protected me because there was one time I woke up on top of a water tower, and I don't know how I got up there with those four of us, and I don't know how we got up there. Uh, all I can tell is you, you don't want to wake up on top of a water tower. Um, and I realized, and I share that because at that moment I said, something's got to change. I don't know what. Uh, I'd been sprinkled about a dozen times in the Methodist church just because I'd fix it for my dad, and he'd think I'd going down another path. Um, that last a weekend. And, and so I really decided at that point something's got to change. And so my senior year, uh, a lot of us, probably six or seven of us in a group, um, were all planning to go get scholarships to some university in Alabama. Um, I had an offer, Troy, um, took my college exam, couldn't pass it. I didn't even come close. Alabama in the 70s, you're athletic, you go to homeroom, you don't miss two consecutive classes, and you'll pass. You really don't have to worry about too much work. Um, quick funny story. I get a term paper back from my English teacher. There's a big F, see me after class. 
how can this happen? I've always made AIDS. And she asked her what happened. She says, go to this page number, read this paragraph. Miss Cochran, Miss Cochran, this is Debbie Weiss, Eddie's sister. I wrote this term paper with all the other term papers. We had gotten in a fight, and she decided, what a great way to retaliate. <laughs> True story. Needless to say, I never got another A-plus on a term paper. Couldn't get, in the, couldn't get in the college exam. I said, I'll join the military. I'll test with the Navy. It'll give me some time to go out to sea, take some refresher classes. I'll go back to school. I'll get back in good grace with my dad, and I'll pursue this lifetime dream of his and mine to be a professional athlete. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for me, the Navy and the Air Force recruiter back then didn't have to really, they had to meet their quotas, they swapped. I went to the Air Force, the Air Force guy went to the Navy. Sorry, Kurt, I got the best end of the deal. <laughs> so this is where it's gonna get a little descriptive because I get emotional and I'll lose track. So after my basic training, my first duty station was Herbert Field. Because of the single dorms were under remodel construction, we were allowed to live off base. Word got around quickly that a new girl was arriving at the trailer park. After winning a game of coin flip with my two other roommates, I went over to my friend's trailer to borrow a vacuum cleaner, which my kids still have a laugh with. That's the biggest ruse you could come up with is to borrow a vacuum cleaner for three single guys. The introduction was made, and there was immediate chemistry between us. After spending some time with normal conversation, I invited her out that night to some local clubs, and she said yes. We went out and we've been together ever since. We were married six weeks later, her 18 and I 20. I have four children and none of them are gonna have done that. You don't, not a good way to start your marriage off. We married, were married six weeks later. Later we began to see our friends' marriage suffered and we knew something was needed to change. Or we were going down the same path. We also realized we did not want the same marriage that our parents have. They didn't really like each other. They just kind of stayed together um, and, and worked through it. But that, again, was his plan of purpose for Sue and I to meet. And in the next week, you know, two weeks, we'll be celebrating our 43rd anniversary. <laughs> it was a year later when I received my orders to Oslo, Norway. And we packed up and Sue, our eight-week-old daughter, and I left our family and friends, got on a plane and wouldn't return for three years. It was during these three years that my performance need that had been developing since childhood revealed itself and began the seed of destruction in our marriage. My career was on a fast track and recognition was a real, regular occurrence. When I wasn't working, I was on the all-service military softball team traveling Europe with my teammates and Sue and Christian were at home and not a part of my military career or what I thought might be a starting return to a sports career in the military. I thought my wife, I thought my wife Sue, would understand that I had to do whatever it, to, whatever it took to take care of her and my family needs. However, Sue and Christian were starving for a relationship. I wasn't there for them. I had a career to succeed in, and my performance was a key in making it a reality. After working with the American Embassy for three years, I knew this was the job I wanted for my next assignment. The only problem was I wasn't high enough in military rank and needed a promotion to continue on in working with the Embassy. 
Three years later, we left Norway to my next special duty assignment I had applied for, the air show coordinator for the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, which I didn't even tell Sue. I had applied for the assignment until after we were accepted and we were on our way to Las Vegas. This was the assignment that would definitely help me get the necessary promotion that I needed for the embassy job. But there was a huge cost, and it was our marriage. It was now in serious trouble and coming apart. Sadly, I was not even aware to how much damage I had caused because of my self-focus and performance living. I was destroying my relationship with the lack of importance and investment in our marriage, and it was a major contributing factor for Sue's affair. After two years of spending an average of 265 days a year traveling all over the U.S. and the world, I had received enough recognition and now had the rank in recommending endorsements for my embassy package to be approved. But now, Sue and I had grown completely apart, and there was no relationship of any value. I had an affair out of retaliation towards Sue's affair. She wanted a divorce, and I was feeling that there was no repairing it. I spent some long and hard nights crying myself to sleep, all alone in asking, demanding God for an answer to how this could happen to me. I was concerned of how disappointed my family would receive the news that I had failed. My performance as a husband and father was not up to the standard to make it succeed. After both of us received some minimal counseling, we reconsidered and both of us decided that divorce was not an option and we wanted to invest in our marriage. Also during this time period, I was informed that my embassy package was declined due to the lack of experience in the intelligence profession. I needed an assignment that would fill this requirement. So after some research, and calls made by my superiors, I was selected for a special, another special duty assignment uh, at the Air Force Technical Application Center over at Patrick. And my job was a security program director to manage all the classified contracts associated with AFTAC's nuclear event detection mission. Another great opportunity to perform, and for the next two years, I did just that. While our marriage was better, it was still based on each other's performance and this performance was being instilled into our daughter and newly added son. Coffee break. <laughs> Told you I live on. Thank you, Dave. After two years, the call came from Washington, D.C. I was finally being reassigned to the Defense Intelligence Agency and being selected to be, uh, being selected for the embassy in Accra, Turkey. A year later, Sue and I received our training in Washington, D.C., and the Weiss family four was on our way to Turkey. Uh, after our arrival, I began my new job as a flight program director for the Embassy C-12 aircraft, which is, it was used to transport U.S. and Turkey and government military dignitaries, and we use it for other jobs. Also, because of my hunting passion experience, I was asked to lead and guide hunting trips for these same Turkish government and military officials. What a job load up the plane, load up the suburban, head off to Russia, borders, and other countries just to hunt. Doesn't get any better than that. Like the previous three assignments, my military career was advancing quickly and receiving recognition as a result of my performance, which once again was the priority and not my relationships of my marriage and or my family, and they were all three suffering. Even though we added our second daughter to the family, it was still about my performance and my pleasure, and that was my number one priority. 
I would make attempts at the relationship and pursue Sue, but only for peace of mind and no real sincerity. I thought to myself that she understood her role and my role in this marriage, and how big of a moron could I be? After the first uh, year there, things got really crazy. The American Embassy got heavily involved in the Gulf War, and they gave me the new job to process and monitor all military aircraft requests to fly through Turkish airspace to and from missions in Iraq. At this time, we evacuated all the families back to the U.S. I spent the last eight months without my family. I was deeply missing my family, and for the very first time, I realized that there is something, something really wrong with my ability to be a godly husband and a father. Because of having to stay longer than the two-year assignment, I was allowed to choose between the embassy in Finland or Switzerland. We chose Switzerland. And in 1991, we arrived at the July 4th weekend and spent the celebration with our families at the ambassador's house. I was thinking, what a great start, and this is going to be the best assignment yet. In the next few weeks, just fed fuel to my performance ego as I was given the responsibility to rewrite the entire section of the Federal Aviation Administration Manual for processing all U.S. military aircraft flights into Switzerland and the use of Swiss aerospace during both peace and wartime periods. My military career was continuous with an expeditious advancement and more and more recognition to feed my performance need. I came home one day after work and Sue surprised me with the news we're adding our fourth child to the Weeks family. Several months after that, my boss called me to his office and explained that I would be going to the International Boy Scout Center located in the Swiss Alps for a mission. He went on to explain the trip was specifically put together by the ambassadors from all the countries' embassies in Switzerland. On that Saturday, October the 19th, 1991, I was riding in the front passenger seat of the embassy's SUV and heading to the International Scout Center in the Swiss Alps. By the time we had reached the center, a heavy snow was falling. It was decided that the Marine, who was the driver, don't let Marines drive, and I would use our SUV and transport all the supplies to the top of one of the mountains for the mission. As we drove higher, making our own trail, it was snowing harder and visibility was getting very difficult. Then, unknown to us, the dirt below us was frozen and could not support the weight of the vehicle. As it began to crumble underneath, the SUV flipped over backwards. I was wearing my seatbelt, but somehow I was ejected from the SUV as we tumbled and rode down the side of the mountain, stopping in a pile of boulders 542 feet from when we first left the top. After the Swiss Army search and rescue helicopter found me buried in the snow, they airlifted me to the nearest hospital, then immediately transported me back to the University of Bern Hospital to begin my surgeries. As you can imagine, I had sustained, li had sustained life-threatening injuries, a compound fracture, including a broken neck at the C5, C4, C5, and C6 levels. Not the birthday gift I was planning on giving Sue when I got back home. Her 31st birthday was the day before October the 18th. After three weeks in a Swiss hospital, three weeks in the U.S. Army Hospital in Lanzo, Germany, I was transported to the Tampa VA Spinal Cord Injury Center for my treatment and rehab as a quadriplegic on a ventilator. That was going to be the rest of my life. It's been almost 10 months since the accident, and now the 1st of July, I've been discharged, pushing myself out the door in a manual wheelchair. And 
And best of all, I'm going home permanently to my wife and four children. Sorry. Okay. It happens every time. So what happened those 10 months in my life that previously depended on my performance? I had lost control of performing the ability to breathe on my own. I couldn't walk, run, jump, or stand. I couldn't completely use my arms, open my hands. I had lost the control of my bodily functions. I now needed help and dependency with my daily activities, eating, bathing, getting dressed, etc. Couldn't even pick my nose. It was really bad. I couldn't work. How are we going to survive? I was thinking my ability to perform as a husband and father were gone. I had once again failed. My earlier life and prior to the accident was one of my performance, and after the accident now to one of my dependency on the Lord. But I still had and wasn't completely released from my performance lifestyle because several years after the accident, accident I began volunteering with a veterans organization. Dr. Barnes talked about Paralyzed Veterans of America, PVA, a veterans organization helping veterans with spinal cord injury and or spinal cord diseases. And with my performance-driven makeup, it didn't take very long before I became a successful representative in Florida. This gave me recognition at the PVA headquarters and the VA central office in Washington, D.C. Just three years later, after beginning volunteer PVA, I was elected one of the vice presidents. I continued holding that position for 14 years, being elected to the senior vice president position. During this time, I found myself, along with Sue, traveling across the United States performing. Then, in 2016, my performance would receive what felt like a devastating and final fatal blow. I'd just been reelected to the senior vice president by the board of directors and was preparing to become the president the following year. Through a series of events, I was sadly forced to resign. So with a stroke of a pen with my senator, my 17 years with PVA was over. I had once again failed. For the next year, I found myself in a very dark place one that I've never been before, and one I desire never to be revisit. And I will just share from you personal Spencer. If you ever find yourself in that place, please get help. But my performance healing began when the Holy Spirit spoke, and I heard it loud and clear from both my heart and mind that God does not need me to perform for him. Rather, his desire is for me to depend on him and be available to him and serve him. Fortunately, with the grace, mercy, and love from Sue and the rest of my immediate family and godly friendship speaking truth in my life, I discovered it's really all about my relationship with God and just being available and giving him total access to my heart, which is the source of my responses and actions. God wants me to love him not because he forces me, but because I see him for who he really is and want and choose to love him from a devoted, humble, and obedient heart. What I'm learning is that when I'm in his word, praying, in regular counsel, and in community, then my relationship with the Lord shows in my marriage. I know that my life has had and will continue to have many opportunities to share with others his gift of eternal salvation through Jesus. I know that his plan will remain perfect regardless of my circumstances and situations. Our marriage has been a 43-year adventure in numerous teachable lessons that we've learned, and one of the most important lessons said with just a few words, you cannot obtain love in our relationship with your performance. Rather, both of us trusting in him that his grace, mercy, and love will always be enough, and I don't have to perform to get his approval or blessings. 
if I continue with my plan of performance-driven life prior to October the 1991 and during my years with PVA, I'm not sure what my marriage would look like today. But I know and understand that his plan and purpose is taking my story and Sue's and don't miss the opportunities for us to share the gospel. Sue and I are now serving the Lord together. In investing and sharing Jesus our marriage with others. Sorry. Being by being available to serve him, we have had and continue to have the humbling opportunity to participate in different marriage ministries. Also, we are currently serving as a board of directors on Forward Free, a biblical nonprofit ministering to first responders, law enforcement, disabled veterans, foster parents, pastors, and missionaries. God knew I was supposed to be in Bern, Switzerland in 1991. And Pastor Youth said last week, God can take you out if he's done with you. And he wasn't done with me yet. For those that's been staring at the Washington Monument, it's my physical reminder. It stands at 555 feet, 5 and 18 inches tall. I fell 542 feet, just 13 foot difference. In closing, let me read you one of my favorite Bible stories where it shows one of God's uh, people responding to his purpose. The company of the prophets said to Elijah, this is 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. The company of prophets said to Elijah, look, the place where we meet you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elijah replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head, axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. In your relationship with Jesus... Is your faith strong enough to float in our accent in serving him? Pray and spend some time praising God for his salvation. Ask him to give you a greater passion for his glory to be known. Pray for the opportunities to draw attention to his glory in serving him. Find your purpose that he created in you and serve him in his plan. Lastly, don't do this alone. Use the godly resource of our men of God and put men around you, godly men around you, to do community and life together. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. That's Ecclesiastes 4.12. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you.